right, good morning. Thank you, Pastor John. Uh, Why don't we pray together real quick as we uh, jump into God's Word this morning. Our Father, as we gather now to hear your Word, would you open our eyes to behold, and I love that word, behold, to be captured by, to be enraptured, to be mesmerized by wonderful things out of your laws, your word says. And the one thing that would fill our heart to wonder like nothing else is to see your son. But we are weak, Lord. Your word says the spirit helps us in our weakness. Thank you for that verse, because we are a bundle of weakness. So right now, Spirit of God, help us in our weakness to encounter the weariness-welcoming, burden-bearing, grace-lavishing Jesus Christ. Feed us from your hand this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, great to be back here with you. I'm going to be totally dating myself right now, but as I was growing up, there was a poem that was everywhere, especially uh, framed as a poster in maybe your basement or your parents' basement, and, or in somebody's wallet. I actually had it as a bookmark. It was called Footprints in the Sand, <laughs> and I see a lot of people nodding their heads like, oh, I have that right now in my Bible, <laughs> but so the poem is a, is a person who has a dream. There are two sets of footprints in the sand. One belongs to the dreamer and the other to the Lord. Then all of a sudden, the dreamer notices that there is only one set of footprints during the t- times of trouble and hardship. And he thought the Lord abandoned him. And then Jesus tells him, my precious child, this is from the poem, I love you, and I will never leave you, never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Now, that's really sweet. And there's some truth to that, right? Jesus carries us. But then, I guess somebody got annoyed with this poem. And probably somebody who feels like, I don't know, like, why am I always having to be carried? I need to get my act together. I don't know. Who knows? This unknown author, he or she wrote a follow-up poem called Butt Prints in the Sand. <laughs> so it goes like this. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord. But mine were not along the shore. But then some strange prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow, the walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. (laughs) 
Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. It's a bit cheeky. Pun intended, sorry about that. No, you're not going to call me back. Okay. But, but I, get, I get the response, right? Like, why are we so, so weak and needy? Carry us, carry us like a baby, right? Like, we should be making more progress at this point in life, right? You, uh, we should be further along spiritually or emotionally. And, and has the Lord just dropped us all right now <laughs> on our behind? I can relate to that author's frustration. I mean, this, especially like this pandemic, all the political stuff, and it just kind of all left us beaten up. Like I, I still don't know what day it is sometimes. I remember it was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We used to know the days, and now it's just Monday, Tuesday, blurs day. Just call kind of. It's just a, a tired way of life that doesn't seem to let up. It's the same old ruts. There's no motivation. We're just kind of dragging through, isolated. Um, Andy Crouch is an author. During the early days of the pandemic, he actually wrote an article. I'm not sure if you ever read it, but he was warning us back then. This is, I don't know, maybe March or April of 2020, that uh, the pandemic, he said, is not just a snowstorm. As some of us thought, that's all it was. Just, or even a blizzard, a bigger than a snowstorm. He said, it's going to be a little ice age. Like, where we're not going back to normal. Like, we are all carrying such grief and loss, especially he, I mean, you all in this season of transition as a church. Like, like, we can't just pause most of normal life activities for two years and then suddenly switch it back without any difficulties. How am I going to make it through? How are we going to make it through? And so I've been resting on these verses in Hebrews 12. 1 and 2. The book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. Originally written to Jews who would become Christians, but then they started getting persecuted, life started to get hard, and they decided maybe we should go back to Judaism. So they are people who are beaten down with difficulties, troubles, and suffering that they are ready to just give up. Uh, really, what I love about Hebrews and why my heart is resting there is because it's one intense letter on public pastoral counseling. And I love that. We need counseling. And so the writer wants his readers to understand how to become the kind of people right, who can cope with life, especially the brutal realities of life. Not just life to be better, but how to cope with life that it is, the reality of it. And so what I want to do this morning, like I've, I've always said what preaching is, preaching is I'm just going to preach this to myself. And if you want to listen, you can. (laughs) Because I need this uh, for me. So this is a reminder for me, especially in this season for me. So let's look at uh, three things. First, uh, as as we read the scripture already, let's look at the race. Then we'll look at how to run. And then we'll close with some motivations. The race uh, first. So, Notice in Hebrews 12, let's start with this. He says there's a race. Let us run with endurance the race. Now before the Olympics, there was something called the Pan-Hellenic Games. It was a long foot race. 
All right, there would be discus, javelin, wrestling, and boxing. All right, it would, so don't think like Chicago Marathon, all right, 5K, right? It, it was more than that. It was a lot of this race. The idea of race was uh, all these kind of things. The, the verb run there, let us run, is in the present tense. And the word endurance literally means remain under the challenge, remain under the difficulty, remain under the struggle. And the way they, the author worded it, he puts that endurance in the wrong order, almost to like, highlight it so that we would see it. Right? So the author right away is kind of pointing us to this, this, this race, not a sprint, but a long-distance race that has many different kinds of obstacles. The goal isn't defeat or overtake others. The goal is complete it. So right away, the point is, he's making is it's not about speed. It's about stamina. Stamina. There are obstacles. There are problems. We will be weary and tired and distracted. But we have to remain, that's the word, endurance, under this challenge. All right, of course, he's not talking about unnecessarily suffering silently, like if there's an abusive marriage, for example. Those are exceptions more than the rule. Uh, But the point is stamina more than speed. Now, I don't like exercise, if you can tell. (laughs) But I do know every single person who has ever trained for anything in a gym feels pain. There is pain in training. You put stress on your body. That is what creates muscle. So that means... Our faith will never grow unless it's tested. You're like, I want to be committed. Yes, but our commitment will never grow unless it's threatened. Lord, help me to be patient. Okay, but your patience will never grow unless it's taxed. Father, make me compassionate. Amen. But your compassion will never grow unless it's tapped. I want to be courageous. Yes, but it will never grow unless it's challenged. So otherwise, we, we, it, it comes with the, with the territory. Otherwise, we are immature, foolish, flabby believers. So stamina more than speed. But notice also the race that is set before us. It's set. So God sets the course. God sets the course. God is the sovereign one who sets the course. Just like he set, the, he set the course for Christ, which we'll talk about. Now, you're not, you and I don't like parts of the course. So, part, so we might be like, why does this course have to have this hill that I'm constantly trying to go over? Or why is there this swamp that I feel like I'm falling into? Right? You may be tempted to look over to your friend's course that they are putting on social media. And that's dangerous, comparisonitis. Because it seems like all pictures of roses and sunsets, and we have no idea what their actual course is like. But God sets the course. And ever since 2020, I feel like God's been exposing, at least for me, my need for control. My need to be God of my life. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, author, she says this, we think we're in control of our lives, we come of age and we decide what we want to be, right? Or if you're Indian American, your parents decide to be, for you to be a doctor, 
which I did not follow that. Anyway, okay, we open bank accounts, we make five-year plans, we take our vitamins, we work out three times a week at the gym, we space our children two years apart, raise them by the book, and nine-tenths of the time it seems like it works enough of the time so that we convince ourselves it is true. If you do everything right, then everything will turn out all right, and, the hum- and human beings really can take charge of their lives until something happens. The income evaporates. The doctor finds a spot on the x-ray. The child's grades go down and down. It seems like you're trapped in a fine automobile when the brakes fail. And I would, we would all add, and a pandemic hits. And in a split second, everything changes. One moment you are comfortably and safely in, the, in command of your journey, and the next you are being flung down the road in an expensive piece of machinery that will not stop. I've lost control, you say. This is what people say when bad things happen to them. I've lost control of my life. Listen to what she says. I've said this myself, she says, but it's not true. Human beings do not lose control of their lives. We lo- what we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control of our lives in the first place. That's what we lose. And that is the truth. The illusion that we were in control in the first place. And the author of Hebrews jumps in and says, God is setting the course, so he is not sending needless drills and tests for fun. We might not understand it. I don't understand it. There are lots of things that happened in my life, like there was a reason. I don't know what the reason is. I still don't know why I went through things. But because I can't think of a reason, doesn't mean God doesn't have any reasons. So when the difficulties of life overwhelm you, when troubles, tragedies overwhelm you, you feel like everything's out of control. Hey, remember, God sets the course. Just because it's not your plan, doesn't mean there's no plan. God's setting the course. That's the race. Stamina more than speed. God is setting the course. Now, secondly, all right, okay, fine. God is setting this course. I need stamina, but how do I run? Well, the text tells us how to run. Now, we can't change aspects of the course, right? We can't change how long the course is. We can't, but we can change how we run, and that's all the, the author wants his audience to, to know. Notice the author includes himself. I love the word us. We all throughout these two verses. This is, running is not a solo project. This is a community project. But he gives us two ways to run here. Two ways to run. Notice in verse 1, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So first he says, if you're going to run, you have to cast off anything that keeps you from running. Cast off anything that keeps you from running. And he gives you two things that keeps us from running. One is sin. Notice he says sin, and then he says weight. Are they the same thing? Lay aside every weight and sin. The idea of weight is physical weight or unnecessary baggage. Uh, Olympic athletes in our day, they, you know, if you notice, they wear pretty skimpy outfits. Because they don't want anything to slow them down or drain their energy. So uh, imagine the, the start of a marathon. Right? Truman can relate to this, right? You don't show up wearing a huge winter coat. 
all-weather pants, hiking boots, 50-pound pack, right? That guy or that gal will not stand a chance of finishing because they have not laid aside every weight. So weight is different than sin. What's the difference? Well, weight, they're not intrinsically wrong, but they're wrong because they are keeping you from running as you should. So what he's saying is we all got under sin. We all got entangling sins. That's tripping us up all the time. But we also got weights. They're not necessarily sin in themselves, but it keeps us from running. All right, so what he's saying is it's not enough to say, yes, I avoided porn on the Internet today. Well, you just binged, watched Stranger Things on Netflix. No, I'm not talking, it's just an example, not personal, okay? Okay, I did that. All right, anyway, okay. <laughs> so, or you spent hours on social media or fantasy sports or video games or online shopping or stocks or sleeping. Or, see, none of those things are sin, right? But they're weights once those things consume us. And don't you hate it on Netflix where they say, it says next episode in five seconds? Five seconds is not enough time for me to decide. And by the time I find this, the remote, it's over. Like, they got me. Like, I'm in the sunken place and, like, get out. Have you seen that? Like, you're just caught, mesmerized. <laughs> so, so the race of the Christian life, loved ones, is not fought well or run well by asking, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? How close can I get to the line before I fall? That's not the question you should be asking. You should be asking is, is this, whatever it is, good thing? Even a good thing. In the way of greater faith, greater love, greater purity, greater courage, greater humility, greater patience, greater self-control. So it's not, is it wrong? That's not the question. The question is, does it help me run? Does it help me run the race? Does, he, does it help me run towards Christ? Does this person I'm dating help me run towards Jesus? A wonderful person. But it is the wrong time. If it's the right person, wrong time. It becomes a weight. Now, I can't tell you what your weights are. This is where you would need to do your own self-evaluation. If we don't stop and process and pray through and do some of this hard work, we can't see what our weights are. And we're wondering why we can't move forward. Uh, late author Henry Nouwen, he wrote in his journal, he wrote how he finds himself very fatigued after talking to people. And introverts here are like, amen. <laughs> and it might be just a personality issue, right? You need alone time if you're an introvert. But listen to Nouwen. He says, after one retreat, uh, he says, it was a real problem. He shared this with a close friend. He says, I'm really fatigued when I'm with people all the time. And uh, he said, his friend said this as advice to him, and I love this. He said, first of all, are you getting enough sleep? Isn't that great? It's, it's not just always just a spiritual issue there. That maybe you just need some sleep. And then he said, listen to this. I love this. Henry, why do you put so much energy in every encounter as if, you are trying to prove every time that you are worth being with. Man, 
you ever read something and it's like, it goes 3D, HD, 4K, 8K, whatever, all on you, and you're just like, whoa. I read that. In that moment, I felt like God just put a mirror to my face, and I felt so seen, like, wow, he just put into words what I have been feeling my entire life. See, that's weight. That's weight. That was a, that's a weight for me. That at every encounter, I am having, there's an underlying drive to prove that I am worth being with. Man, if I'm walking around with that 50-pound weight everywhere I go, of course it's going to slow me down. It slows me down in the race. So what do I do with that? So I'm aware of that. Right? I put that everywhere. I'm worth being with. I put that on the wallpaper of my phone and iPad and everywhere. But I also do, I have to plunge that into the gospel, which we'll look at here, where the God of the universe went out of his way to let me know that through his life and death and resurrection that I was worth being with. It's a constant weight that I'm picking up and trying to run the race. I got to constantly put down, and it's only through the gospel. So what are your entangling sins? What's tripping you up? What are your weights? Those are great things for self-reflection as you think about. Are there things right now hindering me from running that I have allowed in my life? I have to cast those things if I'm going to run. Lastly, okay, so, all right, so, God's setting the course. I need stamina. I've got to cast off some stuff that's slowing me down, even good things. I've got to be aware of the entangling stuff that's tripping me up. What's really going to motivate me? What's going to really help me to, like, Keep going right now. In 2022, October, well, the author gives us motivations. All right. He's, he's, uh, he's talking to, again, b- believers who are struggling, wanting to give up. Three motivations. He says, well, first, you've got to look back. First, look back. Notice how it starts. Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Look back. The word therefore points us back to the previous chapter. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. So whenever you see therefore, right, seminary, they say, when you see therefore, ask yourself, what is therefore? Therefore, right? So you look back, it's this cloud of witnesses. Now, when I, w- I was taught when I was younger that this was a big stadium and all these Old Testament saints and like Moses and David are in the, sta- in the stands and they're like, Keep going, Robin. You know, I don't know why their voice is high, but right. like cheering us, cheering me on, and, and uh, I grew up in a tradition where we, we should be praying to them, and they're cheering, cheering us on. Now, I don't think that's what it's talking about here. There's not really sh- any evidence of the pages of the Bible that people in heaven are really preoccupied with us, uh, with watching us like that. So that's not, I don't think that's the point here. Okay? The idea is not that they're watching us, the encouragement is to watch them. Therefore, puts us back to Hebrews 11, like I said. So if you've ever been to the United Center, uh, you'll see lots of banners from the rafters there, right? In addition to the 12 championship banners between the Blackhawks and Bulls, you'll also see banners with the names of people like Michael Jordan or Bobby Hull. Now, these banners testify to something. What? Victory. Greatness in the sport has taken place here. So when we get to Hebrews 11, 
What we're seeing is all these banners of folks that have gone before. They're testifying to us. They're pointing us to something. And he, he gives us a, many examples of Old Testament believers who endured by faith. They were looking ahead to the promise of Christ. But us, we have the promise. All the more reason not to give up. So the banners all point, hey, it can be done. It can be done. Bulls can win a championship again, right, <laughs> in this decade. Right? We can read all about them again in Hebrews 11. So he's saying, look, look at, look at David. Committed adultery and murder, but he finished. John the Baptist, strange personality. And diet, but he finished. John Mark, who initially quit, but he came back and he finished. Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. She finished, and we would add other church fathers like William Carey, father of modern missions, plotted along in India, lost some kids in the process, but he finished. Job, who suffered so much, he finished. Stephen, who was hated and stoned, and and he finished. Mary Slessor, Amy Carmichael, Paul the Apostle, single people, all their lives, they finished. All right, so I've got to look back for encouragement. But how will I know if I will finish? Well, look back. He also says, look up. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus. So not only are you looking back, you're looking up. The word look there, looking, it's directing one's attention without distraction. Look away from all others toward one. It's not a glance. It's a gaze, that word look. What's gazing? It's Audrey Hepburn peering into the window of Tiffany's, the jewelry store, the opening scene at Breakfast at Tiffany's. That's gazing. Uh, if you read Truman Capote's uh, actual book on it, it's a little different than actually the film, she says the only place where she feels a cure for her angst, her restlessness, she calls it mean reds, the, the ultimate palliative for her life, what, what, what takes care of all the anxiety, the angst in her soul, is when she goes to Tiffany's, the jewelry store, and she just gazes inside. That's what she lives for. See, we all have a window we gaze at. We think that will finally cure my heart's ultimate need. It's, it's to put all our weight and attention on. It's to put all our weight and trust in. And the writer of Hebrews says that desire needs to be directed towards Jesus. Look, looking to Jesus, notice he says Jesus, not even Christ. Why does it say Jesus? That's the, his compassion, the, the idea of Christ, of Jesus is his compassionate the human name. His, his compassion is, is brought out there. That he's in this with you. He's not asking you to do anything he hasn't done. And he's like, I know what it's like to be hurt and betrayed and misunderstood and lonely, and I, I'm identifying with you, looking to Jesus. And also, he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the author. He's the reason we have any faith at all. He decided to save you before the foundation of the world. He loved you, and at the right time, he saved you and put you in this race. And that only makes one logical conclusion. He's going to finish what he started. He's the author and finisher. And I love these lyrics from Maverick City. 
God of my present, God of my future, you write my story, you hold it all together. You are the alpha and you are the mega and you're in the middle. You're in the middle. That's where we're at right now. You hold it all together. You're not just at the beginning. You're not just watching from the end, but you're walking with me in the middle. You hold it all together. If I look back, I look up, and there's one more motivation. We look ahead. Last one. We look ahead. The author tells the motivation, hey, look, Jesus ran too. And he had a motivation. Right? Why did Jesus, how did Jesus run? Verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew the process was going to be hard, the journey was going to be taxing, but look, how did he run? He looked ahead to joy. What joy? What, what would give him joy at the end of his race? Bringing glory to God the Father? Absolutely. In fi- finishing his high priestly work, all of Hebrews talks about, that he came to do? Absolutely. But there's something else that was wrapped up in his joy that made him run. What would he get at the end of it? What would give him that joy? It's us. In his race, he endures. He ran, but at at the end, he would climb a hill. He would be mocked, and he would be unsupported by any visible or tangible evidence. He would be carried through taunting and scourging and crucifying, and then he would go through the bitter agony of rejection, being deserted and abandoned even by his own father. He went to battle for our sins, and he would willingly, willingly lost, so he would win us at the same time. He endured the cross and even the shame of it all. The shame of it all. No one cheered him on, and instead of stripping himself of the weight of sin, he took it on himself. So we would never have to carry it. He disregarded the disgrace he would experience because he knew that if he went through this, he would obey his father, he would bring him glory, and then he would bring, we, would, he would, we would be able to run into his arms all at the same time. And he would triumph because he's sitting at the right hand of God. So Jesus, notice it says, in your race, he doesn't say, remember me like Noah or Moses or somebody who inspires you, right? He doesn't say, remember Jesus. He says, look to Jesus. Don't let... Don't coddle sin, let it wear you down. Put your whole weight on me. No, somebody like this would not look at us and be so fed up and drop us on the sand. We will not. Climb on my back, put your weight on me, he says. I'm going to carry you through. The believer who is running isn't somebody who never falls but it's somebody who clings to Christ who never fell. Jesus got us at the end of his race. So right now, believer, you're going to get him at the end of yours. He set us his, his joy when he ran. Set him as your joy as you run. When I started in ministry, I thought I was sure of everything. <laughs> like, now, 13 years later, I probably could add when I first, started, first got married, when I first became a parent, could also add all of that. I was sure of everything. 
But now all this time has passed, and after hundreds and thousands of mistakes, I should be dropped on my butt. <laughs> but the only thing I'm sure of is I, I daily need grace. And I cry, how long, O oh Lord? Right? This race seems like it's forever. It's never ending. How long, O oh Lord? This little ice age. How long, O oh Lord? And Jesus says, long before my grace for you runs out. So if you're discouraged this morning, frustrated, exhausted, take heart. You don't have to work your way up to the Savior. You collapse your way down to him. That's where he is. That's where he'll find you. Right? So, so how do I run? Like, how do I, how do I keep going practically? What's, what's going ha- like, to really help me change? Well, I'll just, I'll just close with this. I'll tell you, it's 10,000 little moments. All right? Each, the race, the running comes with steps. Right? So 10,000 moments of personal invite, insights and convictions, 10,000 moments of humble submission, 10,000 moments of foolishness that's exposed and wisdom that's gained, 10,000 moments of sin confessed and sin forsaken, 10,000 moments of courageous faith, 10,000 choices of obedience, 10,000 times of forsaking the kingdom of self and running towards the kingdom of God, 10,000 moments where we, we abandon worship of the creation and give ourselves to the worship of the creator. But each of those moments... There is relentless, transforming, little moment grace. And putting your whole weight on him means step by step, moment by moment. The steps turn into miles, which turn into years, which turns into a legacy. May the Spirit of God help us, RCC, as we run further and deeper than we've ever had before. Not remembering Jesus. No, no, no. Do not remember Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's not your example. He's your Savior. We need more than an example from him. We need him to save us. And it only comes when we look to him and fall and collapse at his feet. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, many of us have been crying out, how long, oh, Lord? And I thank you that the answer is long before your grace for us runs out. Lord, I collapse myself down to you. I need moment by moment grace, Lord. Many of us, Lord, we collapse down to you as we think about parenting, think about working, think about surviving day by day difficult marriages, some of us here. We need moment by moment grace to walk. And I cannot fathom how you, Jesus, could run your race to the cross and you kept me as your joy. I can't. Help me to believe that, Jesus. Many of us, when we think of you, we think of this, the author of the Bud Prince, Lord, that we're, we're just, you're just disappointed in us all the time, and you just drop us. But this passage tells us it's not, that's not your heart. We are your joy. 
that we've always been your joy. Help us to believe that this morning. Overwhelm our heart, overwhelm my heart with that truth so I could keep going moment by moment, knowing that you are the author, is also the perfecter and the finisher. Thank you, Jesus, that you are far more committed to us than we are to you. Answer these prayers better than I even know how to ask. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.